0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zuma Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor It's Zuma Radio's Theater of the Mind With Frank Proctor Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best loved programs from radio's golden age, only on Zuma Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Great Gildersleeve was a radio situation comedy broadcast in the States from August 31st of 1941 to 1958. Initially written by Leonard Lewis Levinson, it was one of broadcast history's earliest spinoff off programs. The series was built around the character Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, a regular element of the radio situation comedy Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve enjoyed its greatest popularity in the 40s. Harold Perry played the character during its transition from the parent show to the spin-off and later in four feature films released at the height of the show's popularity. In Fibber McGee and Molly, Perry's Gildersleeve had been a pompous windbag and antagonist of Fibber McGee. The character went by several aliases on Fibber McGee and Molly. His middle name, by the way, was revealed to be Philharmonic. Gildy grew so popular that Kraft Foods, promoting its parquet margarine, sponsored a new series featuring Perry's somewhat mellowed and always befuddled Gildersleeve as the head of his own family. The Great Gildersleeve premiered on NBC August 31st of 41, and it moves the title character from the McGee's wistful villa to Summerfield, where Gildersleeve oversees his late brother-in-law's estate and rears his orphaned niece and nephew, Marjorie and Leroy Forrester. The household also includes a cook named Birdie, While Gildersleeve had occasionally mentioned his unseen wife in some fibber episodes, in his own series, he's a confirmed bachelor. At the outset of the series, Gildersleeve administers a girdle manufacturing company. If you want a better corset, of course, it's a Gildersleeve. And later and during the remainder of the show, he serves as Summerfield's water commissioner. So tonight we hear the episode aired in 1945. The house is sold.
2: Kraft presents
1: The Great Gildersleeve. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
2: Kraft's Ease Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products, presents Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft brings you The Great Gildersleeve every week at this time, written by John Whedon and Sam Moore, music by Claude (laughs) Sweeton. (laughs) you <laughs> Join our friend, the Great Gildersleeve. It's three weeks since his dismissal as Summerfield's water commissioner. The development of his friend Fiverr McGee's plastic mouse trap has been stymied temporarily for lack of capital, and Gildersleeve's affairs appear to be at a standstill. However, he still likes to eat, as we see now. Joining him at breakfast with his family. Uh, pass the syrup, will you please, my boy? Here, more hotcakes, Miss please? Yeah, but not too many, Bertie.
4: Say uh, three or four, huh? How about you, Marjorie?
5: No, thanks. I think you and Leroy are disgusting.
4: Disgusting? Why? <laughs> We're just healthy, my dear.
5: Well, I'll fix one more
6: batch, and that'll have to hold you.
4: All right, Bertie.
6: Oh, Mr. Gillespie, I wonder, could you give me some money for the grocery bill? The man asked for it yesterday, but you was out.
4: What does he want money now for? Tell him I'll pay him the bill in the usual way.
6: I told him that, but he wants it now. Why? Why in the name of why? Well, I'll tell you how it was, Mr. Gillespie. man came in yesterday afternoon, and he says to me, Hi, sis." Is the boss home? No, he ain't, I says. And he says, well, when he gets home, you ask him for this 1843 that's due on the groceries, he says.
4: Yes, Bertie.
6: So I says to him, how come, I says. And he says, Mr. Gillsleeve ain't working now, he says. And I can't afford to take no chances, he says. Chances, I said. Look here, man. You ain't take no chances on Mr. Gillsleeve, I says. Why, he ain't paid me my salary for two weeks, I says. And I ain't one bit worried.
4: He said, oh, my goodness.
6: (laughs) I sure told him dinner,
4: Mr. Jefferson. You sure told him, Bertie. But he still wants his money. Well, I'm sorry about your salary, Bertie. It's strictly an oversight. Here. Oh. A <laughs> uh, little short. <laughs> well, here's one week anyway, Bertie. Oh, thank you, sir. If that's one of your friends, Leroy, have him wait outside. We finish breakfast. I won't have him watching every forkful I put in my mouth.
5: Oh, it might be Piggy. I'll go see it.
4: Darn kids. Why don't they stay home? Maybe
5: it's I... the grocery man.
4: If it is, he can go right back. And who is it, Leroy?
5: It's a lady, Unc. Here's her card.
4: Oh? Uh, Miss Gladys Wheeler. Real estate. What does she want?
5: How should I know?
4: Well, ask her to come in.
5: Okay. She ain't bad looking. Isn't Leroy horrible?
4: No, he's not. He's... Well, he's growing up, anyway.
3: (laughs)
5: Come
4: in,
6: Miss Wheeler. Come in. Sit down. Have some hot cakes. Have some coffee. Oh, no, thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve. I'm an awful pest interrupting your breakfast. I'd be glad to wait outside until you're through. No, no.
4: I've finished, as a matter of fact. Uh, Sit down. Uh, This is my niece, Marjorie.
6: How do you do?
5: How do you do?
4: And my nephew, Leroy.
5: How do you do, Leroy?
4: Say, how do you do, Leroy?
5: Okay, how do you do? Gosh, I let her in (laughs) Uh,
4: Great kid Uh, What can I do for you, Miss Wheeler?
6: Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, I wonder if you've ever considered selling your house
4: Selling my house? No, I never had I don't think I'd be interested
6: Oh, I don't blame you, I must say Such a lovely home Still, I have a client who's authorized me to offer you $12,000
5: for it.
3: $12,000? Lira. But Uncle
5: Morton only cost $7,000.
4: Oh, you children leave the room, please. Uh, Miss Wheeler and I are talking business, and you don't know anything about it.
6: I know the house cost $7,000 originally, Mr. Gildersleeve. Still, my client is willing to pay twelve.
4: Uh, cash?
6: Cash. Grab it, Unc.
4: Leroy. (laughs) Uh, Miss Wheeler, I wonder if you'd like to see the rest of our house. The dining room is no place to discuss business. In our living room I guess you've seen everything In our humble abode
6: Oh, it's all so nice and homey
4: Oh, yes But I've been thinking Of making a change Man ought to move once in a while
6: Then you'll be dropping in At my office this afternoon To sign the contract Oh, yes, I'll be there Honestly, Mr. Gildersleeve It's a pleasure to do business With a man who knows his own mind
4: (laughs) Well, I've always liked To make decisions quickly Bingo, that's me
6: (laughs) I'll bet you're a wonderful executive Oh, you think so? Well, most men would have to consult their wives.
4: Haven't got one. (laughs) Really? Oh, no, sir. Put loose and fancy free, full of beans, and well, I make my own decision?
6: Well... At least most men would have to consult lawyers and goodness knows who.
4: Why should I pay my lawyer a fee on such a simple deal as this? <laughs> the old goat, he'll be surprised.
6: Mr. Gildersleeve, as I said before, it's a pleasure to do business with you. Well,
4: it's the same to you, Miss Wheeler. Uh, say, uh, do you ever like to... Uh,
6: uh, do I like to what?
4: Uh, let it go. I'll be in your office this afternoon.
6: <laughs> well, that's fine. Thanks, Miss Gildersleeve. Oh, thank
4: you. Goodbye, Miss Wheeler.
6: Goodbye.
4: <laughs> Yeah. By George, she's so cute, it's a shame to take advantage of her. Still, it's not her money. Uh, uh, but that? Hey, um, are
3: okay, you going to sell a house, huh? Are we going to move?
4: Well, I agreed to sell it, my boy. I'll sign the papers this afternoon.
3: Hear Hey, Mark, we're going to move. Leroy. Marty, we're going to move. Leroy. Leroy.
4: Subside, please, Leroy. Of course, you understand, you children will have to give your consent. I'm only the trustee.
5: Mom. Okay, the deal. Leroy, what were you hollering just now? Uncle, selling the house, Bertie. We're going to move. Isn't that swell? My, my! Is it true, Uncle Lloyd? Are you really going to sell
3: it? If you
4: approve, my dear, the house really belongs to you and Leroy.
5: Oh, sell it. Sell it and buy a new one. I know just the house.
4: Well, maybe we ought to talk about it a little. I hope you realize your uncle is making a pretty smart deal. Oh,
5: sure.
4: You know, I ought to go into the real estate business myself. It's a lot easier than I thought.
5: Yeah, all you do is you buy a house for seven thousand dollars and sell it for twelve.
4: <laughs> well, the whole trick, my boy, is to know values. Know values and make decisions quickly. If I'd been the kind of a man that fools around, can't make up his mind, she might have bought some other
5: house. I told you to grab it, Unc. Sure, but what do you know? I know how much is seven from twelve. Are you sure?
4: No, children.
5: Uh, Uncle Mort, could be by the Weston's house. It's not very big, but it's cute. Oh, yes.
4: It's a nice house. Very nice.
5: It has two bathrooms. I get awfully sick of waiting for you to finish shaving every morning. What about me hanging around while you take those bubble baths? (laughs) I do not take bubble baths. You took one last week. There left a lot of bubbles in the tub, too. I did not. You did so.
4: that will do, children, the Weston house might be very nice, Marjorie. Probably get it for $6,000, maybe five. dollars Or how about something out in that new subdivision?
5: Oh, I'd love to live in Shady Oaks. The houses are all new out there. The kitchens are nice out there, too, post-war style. Oh, the Nielsons have a lovely English cottage out there. Two bedrooms and three bathrooms.
3: Only two bedrooms?
5: Oh, Bertie would love the kitchen.
7: Yeah, I'd love it, but I wouldn't want to sleep in it.
3: (laughs) a bathroom, either.
4: Uh, Yes. We'll need something a little bigger than two bedrooms, Marjorie. But don't worry, there are dozens of houses in town that'll be fine for us. Let's
5: get a great big
4: house. (laughs) We don't need a mansion, my boy.
5: As long as there's plenty of bathrooms. It'll be wonderful to have a house with a powder room. A powder room? Every house in Hollywood has a powder room and a rumpus room. Wouldn't you like a rumpus room, Uncle Mort? Why
4: not? Yeah, let's have a rumpus room.
5: If I'm gonna clean all these rooms, I hope there's a restroom.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
4: Don't no worry, Bertie. Good times are coming. You know, ever since that real estate woman walked in here this morning, I felt that everything was going to be fine. I'll take this money, we'll buy a new house, and I'll put the rest of it in mousetraps, and pretty soon I'll be a millionaire. And when I'm a millionaire, Marjorie will have two bathrooms all to herself, Leroy will have a baseball diamond and a running track, and I'll have a rumpus room with a snack bar. And, Bertie, you will have an assistant. Mr.
3: Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah. Don't laugh, Bertie. It
4: could happen. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Standard form sale contract, Mr. Gildersleeve, it provides that you vacate your house within 30 days. 30 days? Well, that's customary. Oh, but of course I don't have to tell you. I can see you've had real estate dealings before.
4: Oh, yes, plenty of
6: them. (laughs) Would you care to use my pen or... Uh, Maybe I
4: ought to just glance through the rest of this.
6: Oh, by all means, take your time.
4: Oh, thank you. You're a smart girl, Miss Wheeler. Not like an ordinary agent rushing a follow into something. Where do I sign?
6: <laughs> right here.
4: Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Rock Morton, P. Uh, Gilder, please. Mm,
6: and the duplicate copy. That's the one I keep. That's right.
7: Rock. Oh, <laughs> pen's gone dry. Oh,
6: sorry. Here's another one.
7: Oh, wonderful. Two pens. Well. Rock Morton. P.
4: Uh...
6: Thank you. That does it.
4: Yes, sir. Well, I have a feeling we ought to celebrate a little. Come on out and I'll buy you soda.
6: Oh, I'd love to, Mr. Gildersleeve, but I've got a customer waiting over on the other side of town. Some other time. All
4: right, some other time. Before you go, Miss Wheeler, it's been such a pleasure doing business with you. Yes. I'd like to throw a little business your way.
6: Oh, really? Well, you call me. Oh, I don't
4: have to call you. I just want you to find me a house. Something around five dollars
6: or $6,000. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Gildersleeve.
4: What do you mean? Don't you want my business?
6: Well, yes, but... Well, the fact is there isn't a single house available in Summerfield. Uh, a lot? Unless you'd be interested in something around twenty or $25,000.
4: Give me back that contract.
6: Now, Mr. Gildersleeve, that would hardly be fair to my clients, would it? Fair?
4: What's being fair about it to me? You swindle me out of my house for half what it's worth, and all the time you know I won't have anywhere to go.
6: You know where you can go, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs>
3: Why, George,
2: if you... now, let's get back to the great Gildersleeve, who's really painted himself into a corner. Having sold his own house for a good price, he can't find another to move into at any price. He's tried every real estate agent in town, examined the classified ads, and now at his wit's end, he's taken time out to get a haircut and think it over. So we find him in the hands of Floyd Munson, wedged into a barber chair, strangled by a mussy sheet, smelling like a lily as Floyd gives him the finishing touches. Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, who's going to win the election?
4: Hard to say, Floyd, hard to say. Uh... You don't know anybody who has a house he wants to sell, do you? Why, are you in the market, Commissioner? I may be, shortly.
7: Well, this fellow in here the other day said he might want to get rid of an Oldsmobile. I can't ask my family to live in an Oldsmobile, boy. <laughs> what I need's a house. Why, are you getting thrown out of yours? I'm not getting thrown out, I've sold it. Is that a fact? Funny I didn't hear about it. I just told you. Bet you got a pretty good price for it, huh? A fair price. Yeah, it's a good solid house you got there, well built. Bet you got easy $8,000 for it. Nine thousand, maybe. With the garage in all, maybe ten thousand. I got a fair price. My problem now is to find a place to live. Yeah. Well, I got a nice little place there. Nothing fancy, you know what I mean? We could do with another bathroom. Wife's always hollering at me. But it's a roof over our head. I'm not worrying about you, Floyd. It's me. Say, now you mention it, I hear where Otto Slesnick and his wife ain't getting along so good again. What's that to me? Well, I was passing that place the other night and they were carrying on something fierce. I heard her call him a bum mechanic. That ain't good. Well, if you don't mind, Floyd, I'm not interested in any local gossip at the moment. Now, wait. Supposing it was to go from bad to worse. Supposing they were to bust up. Why, there'd be a house. Huh? Sure, you Why, gotta think you? of those things. Wife happens to pass a remark. Man reaches for a piece of crockery. First thing you know, there's a house on the market. <laughs> Floyd, you've given me an idea. Yeah, finish me up, will you? Practically done now. Great. Of course, if you're thinking of that house of Otto's, it's only got five rooms. Why'd you tell me about it? I need at least seven. Well, it's only an idea. Maybe if you was to look around and sort of keep your ear to the ground. you Know what I mean? Hmm. After all, life's no bed of roses. Otto and his wife, they're not the only lovebirds in town. If there was only some way. Just because a man opens the door for his wife or carries the groceries home for her, you don't know how he treats her when he gets her there. Floyd. <laughs> How are the Thompsons getting along these days? Oh, I'm afraid that's all straightened out. Her mother finally went home. Oh, blew over. Oh, yeah. Of course, um, maybe I ought to say this. No, what? Well, I don't know this. I only heard. But it seems where Doc Pettibone came home at 4.30 the other morning and she put the bolt on the door and wouldn't let him in. Doc Pettibone, eh? Always wondered how he stood it. It's not a bad house either. Well, that's only what I heard. But where there's smoke, there must be fire. You know what I mean? By
4: George, I know where I can find out, too. Let me out of this chair, Floyd. There you are, Commissioner. Thanks, Floyd. Thank you very much. Well, if it ain't Fred Kelly.
7: What happened,
4: Fred? No cracks, please. Where'd you get the black eye, Fred? Ran into a door in the dark. Oh, that's too bad. Too bad. Uh, let me know if you hear anything, Floyd.
3: Uh-huh. Hello. So Hello. <laughs>
8: Dr. Pettibone? Why, well, yes, I do most of his perception work.
3: I know that,
4: Peavy, but have you seen it?
8: Yes, I have. As a matter of fact, Mrs. Peavy and I played bridge with the doctor and his wife last night. You did, really? Well, how did they seem? Mm, they seemed fine. Why? You uh, didn't notice anything?
4: Notice anything? I mean, you didn't feel any undercurrent there. They seemed to be getting along all right. Why, oh, yes. Yeah. No kicking each other under the... Bridge table or anything?
8: No, why? Nuts. Uh, Why do you ask, Mr. Gildersleeve?
4: I've got to find a house, Peavy. I've got to find one right away.
8: Is uh, this for yourself or for a friend? For myself, naturally. For my family. We'll be out on the street in 30 days if I don't find one. dear, dear. I don't like to pry, Mr. Gildersleeve, but uh, was it trouble with the mortgage? No, it was trouble with a woman. Oh that again. Mm. (laughs) The woman deceived me, Peavy. They'll do it every time. Well, I couldn't say that. (laughs) Not every time. (laughs) This one was a real estate agent. I thought if I sold my
4: house for twelve thousand and bought another for five or six, I'd make a fair profit on the exchange. But she didn't tell me there aren't any other houses. She didn't tell me that.
8: Have you thought of renting a house? Yeah,
4: and so has everybody else. I've even thought of stealing a house, Peavy. That's why I asked you about Doc Pettibone. I heard things weren't so rosy there, and I thought maybe...
3: Say,
8: how many rooms you got in your house, Peavy? Mrs. Peavy and I are very happy where we are, Mr. (laughs) Gildersleeve. Yeah, I didn't think so. You don't know anybody who's leaving town or anything? No, I'm afraid I don't.
4: The doctor hasn't happened to mention anybody who's on the uh, anxious list.
8: Not that I can recall. Perhaps if you waited till the winter season. What?
2: I can't, Peavy.
8: I've got to have a house right away. I can't find one for love or money. You know, speaking of love... Yes? It's too bad you and Mrs. Ransom didn't hit it off there a while back. Why do you say that? Well, I always thought Miss Goodwin very attractive, but that place where she lives is a little small. Peavy, I told you
4: I'm all through with that stuff. No more of it. I'll never have anything to do with a woman again as long as that. I... Still, well, that's a nice house leela has got there. Copper plumbing throughout.
8: Mm, nice shade trees, too. Yeah.
4: Peavy, I wonder... What? I wonder if Mrs. Ransom wouldn't like to go back to Savannah. After all, she's a long way from home up here, Peavy. She could sell me her house... And go down there and buy a little old plantation. Enjoy some of that southern comfort. Get some of that old corn pone. Hear those old banjos ringing. Man, I'd almost go with her. Yeah.
9: Glad you dropped in, Trockmorton.
3: Well,
4: (laughs) 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 well, I'll tell you, Leela, I've been a little worried about you lately.
9: Oh, have you really? How nice.
4: Yeah. When I think of you all alone in this great big house here, day after day.
9: Well, I'm not completely alone. I have friends, you know.
4: Oh, of course. Of course you have. But I sometimes ask myself, Leela... If we really know who our truest friends are.
9: Well, I always think of you as my friend, Doc Martin. I hope you don't
8: mind.
4: Oh, I am very much so. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. You must always think of me that way, Leela. Yes. But what I mean is, well, everybody knows that a boy's best friend is his mother. A girl's, too.
5: I suppose.
4: Yes. People should stick to their mother and their family, Leela. We mustn't forget the old folks at home. Don't you ever miss them?
9: Well, I think about them. I think about them a lot. But sometimes I feel I'd rather think about them than be with them.
4: (laughs) Oh, that's the wrong attitude, Leela.
9: Uh, Dr. Morton, why are you suddenly so interested in my folks? You never showed any interest in them when we went gay.
4: Well, it's not your folks so much, Leela. It's not that. I'm thinking of you. I. Oh, certainly. You don't realize, Leela, you're a southerner. You were born in the South. It's in your blood. Don't you hear it calling?
9: Not at the moment. (laughs) Leela, think of it.
4: Moonlight and honeysuckle. Soft summer breezes. Those old banjos ringing.
9: I haven't heard a banjo in the South in 15 years.
4: Well, you could take that one down with you. Think of that southern cooking, Lila Think of
9: it I am thinking of it And you're thinking of something, too Yeah,
4: I wonder what it is I don't know what you mean
9: Oh, yes, you are I'm thinking
4: of you, Lila So far from home Living all alone up here In this great big house By the way, how many rooms has it got? Seven Ever have any water in the cellar? Not a drop Remarkable just the same I worry about you here, Lila. Oh,
9: that's very sweet of you, Throckmorton, to worry about me, but I don't worry.
4: Well, you should. Such a big house for such a little girl. Seven rooms, you say? Mm,
9: I never worry, because I know that if anything should happen, if I should ever need protection, you're right next door. Yeah,
4: that's just it, Lila. I may not be next door.
9: Throckmorton, you're not leaving town.
4: Well... That depends
9: it Depends on what? It
4: depends on you
9: Oh, gracious
4: I mean, here you are living all alone in a great big house and Here I am Ooh, I don't know how to say
9: it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Throckmorton, you're such a dear, sweet, clumsy fool Why don't you... Why don't you just come right out and say it? Well Up that shit ambushed, beside me first There
4: you got me all wrong, Leela.
9: Well, I'll take my chances on that. Now, uh, what is it you wanted to say to me? Uh,
4: Leela, why don't you go back to Savannah?
9: Why don't I...
4: would pay I'm... you a good price for your place, Leela. I'd pay as much as it costs. You see, I gotta have a house. I sold mine. <gasps>
3: Oh, well now, Leela, you're not
4: going to cry, are you? Uh, Leela, don't cry. It was only an offer, Leela. No harm in an offer. I didn't mean to hurt you. I take it all back. Keep your house, Leela. I just thought you'd like to go back home and get some of that fried chicken. Smell some of those oleanders again. Hear those old banjos ringing.
3: I hate I hate banjos!
10: yourself at home, Gildy. You always do. There's an ashtray beside you. I'm just enjoying my usual after-dinner kayak water. Care for a glass?
4: No, thank you.
10: Judge? Yes, Gildy?
4: I dropped over here tonight to let you in on a good thing.
10: If it has anything to do with mousetraps. Let me out. It,
4: no. As a matter of fact, it has to do with this rat trap you're living in here. This what? Your house. I think I may have a prospective purchaser for it. That is, if the price is right. Sorry, I wouldn't be interested. Oh, Judge, don't be ridiculous. This is a bona fide offer. No,
10: not interested.
4: Don't be a dog in the manger, Judge.
10: What do you want to wallow around in a nine-room house for? I like it here. May not be beautiful, but it's comfortable and I like it. I hope and expect to remain here till the day I die. But that may be years. (laughs)
3: Look,
4: Judge, this man is no piker. He's prepared to offer $5,000 spot cash for the whole shebang just as she stands.
10: I might possibly consider 14. 14?
4: That's 2,000 more than I got. If you think your house is worth more than mine... Wait Judge. a
10: minute, Gildy. You mean to tell me you've sold your house?
4: Well, I didn't mean to tell you, Judge, but that's about the size of it.
10: But Gildy, that house isn't yours to sell. You're only the executor. It's held in trust for Marjorie and Leroy. Well,
4: no, I consulted them before I did. Oh, you did?
10: Well, why didn't you consult me?
4: Well, doggone it, Horace, every time I consult you about anything, you send me a bill. Oh, that's it. What am I going to do, Horace? I've sold the house and I can't find another one. Are you
10: asking me what to do?
4: Well, I'm asking you.
10: (laughs) I'll bill you, so help me, I'll bill
3: you.
10: (laughs) (laughs) Well, go ahead and bill me. All right. As your lawyer, I advise you to get that contract canceled.
4: But how, Judge? How can I do it?
10: Well, it'll take a good lawyer. Fortunately, you've got one. Yes. As your lawyer, I shall refer the contract to the probate judge in charge of the estate, to whom it should have been referred for approval in the first place. Good. Do that. And as the probate judge in charge of the estate, I shall declare the contract null and void.
4: Horace, can you do that?
10: Watch me. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, George. The law is a wonderful
4: thing. Just
10: a minute, please. Speaking again as your attorney, the fee for that will be $100. Marked up from 50. One hundred...
4: Well, I guess it's cheap at that.
10: One hundred dollars or... A chicken fricassee dinner cooked by the inimitable birdie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that fricassee to include dumplings. By
4: George Horace.
10: By golly, Gildy. You
4: old son of a gun. You
10: old horse thief. You old puddin' You head. old stick in the mud. Be it ever so humble. There's, there's no, no
3: place, place like home. Be it ever so
4: My own little bed in our own little house. (laughs) By George. I'm glad we didn't sell it. Listen to that. Rain on the roof. And here I am, snug as a bug in the rug.
5: (laughs) Hey, Yonk, the water's coming through the ceiling of my room. It is?
3: Yes, dripping right in my face. Never
4: mind, Leroy. These days, a man is lucky to have a leak over his head. (laughs) (laughs) You go to bed. Good night, everybody.
2: <laughs> Music on this program is directed by Claude Sweet. And this is Ken Carpenter speaking for the Fast Cheese Company, makers of Parquet Margarine, and a complete line of famous quality food products. Fast invites you to listen in again next week at the same time for the further adventures of the Big Gilders League.
1: Time now for The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. This episode first aired in 1945.
11: Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce and The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. Well, here's the patio of Dr. Watson's Northern California bungalow, but where's the doctor?
12: Here I am, Mr. Bartell. I'm the
11: dog. Okay, I'll be right there. Oh, sitting by the fish pond, huh, Doctor?
12: Yes, my boy. It's rather pleasant out here for a change. Have it ever occur to you how stupid the
11: expression of a goldfish is, Mr. Bartell?
12: <laughs> well, I
11: can't say I've ever given it much thought, Doctor. Why? You see
12: this foolish little fellow here with his silly little mouth opening and closing as though he were constantly astonished?
11: Oh, what is this? I thought you were a fish lover.
12: Yes, I am. But as I was brooding over tonight's story... That goldfish seemed to be making faces at me as though it was trying to remind me of how my face must have looked on a certain June evening in 1890.
11: It sounds to me as if you're going to tell a story against yourself, Doctor. I am,
12: young fellow, my lad. What happened? One Sunday morning in 1890, I dropped round to visit my friend in Baker Street. Mrs. Hudson told me that he was out, but suggested that I wait in our old rooms for his return and promised me a pot of strong tea some buttered scones as an inducement. As I walked into the sitting room, I was astonished to see Holmes standing there, a bag in one hand
13: and a coat in the other. My dear chap, how
12: are you? I'm fine, Holmes. I'm surprised to see you, though. Mrs. Hudson told me that you were out. I have been, Watson, on a case.
13: I just returned by my private entrance for some, uh, some necessary operation. Oh,
12: could I come with you? My wife's away, you know, but my... My practice is quite slack at the moment. Not even my
13: trusty old friend Watson can accompany me on this case. It's a ticklish business. The fate of two nations hangs in the balance. I must work alone. Sorry to leave you like this, old fellow. Goodbye.
12: Oh, uh, wait a Miss, Mrs. Hudson's making me some tea and some battered scones. Can't you wait and, and share them with me? Ha, <laughs> ha. Huh?
13: Good old Watson. You're the one fixed point in a changing age. Empires are tottering and you talk of tea and buttered scones. Oh, I'm sorry. It
12: must be awful. G- Goodbye, old
13: fellow. You don't look so sad, old fellow. Hmm? The time is ripe. I'll tell you all about the case and you can write it up in your memoirs.
12: Goodbye, old boy. Buttered scones. I haven't got any appetite for them now. Did you enjoy the scones, Dr. Watson? Oh, I'm afraid my appetite disappeared when Mr. Holmes left. It did, did it? <laughs> I see you've eaten them all just the same. What? Oh, oh yes, I did. <laughs>
6: I've got a surprise for you, Doctor. Inspector Lestrade is downstairs. Who is he? He came to see Mr. Holmes, but when I told him he was out, the inspector said he'd like to see you.
12: Oh, he did? Oh, splendid. Ask him to come up, uh, please, will you? will you, Mrs. Hudson? Aye, sir.
5: Will you come up, please, Inspector?
12: Okay, thank you, Mister Hudson.
5: Can I buggy up a few more scones? No, Doctor? no,
12: no, 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 thank you. I, I really couldn't eat them.
5: I'll just go and make some more the same. He'll eat them if I fix them, don't No,
12: no, no, really, thank you. Uh, ah, oh, there you are, Mr. Uh, Mr. Hello, Dr. Watson. Here's a pretty kettle of fish
14: and no mistake. Huh? What's the trouble? Well, I want Mr. Holmes' help on a most important case.
1: Uh,
12: where's he gone? Well, he's out on a very, um... Uh, Secret matter. You know where he is, Doctor? Naturally, I know where he is, Lestard. My old friend never keeps me in the dark. But I'm not at liberty to tell you. Uh, Perhaps I could help you a bit. After all, I'm not exactly unfamiliar with with my friend's methods.
14: That's true, but uh,
12: just the same. Uh, (laughs) Oh,
14: well, Doctor, two heads are always better than one. Even if one is a sheep's head, as my old mother used to say.
12: Are you suggesting that I'm a sheep's head?
14: No, I'm not suggesting anything, Doctor. I'm just telling
12: you what my old mother used to say. I'm really not very interested in what your old mother used to say. Okay. And, um. And now, Lestrade, your problem, please. it's simple enough, Doctor. A
14: German diplomat, Graf Otto von Eldenstein is his name, is in England on a very secret mission. Graf Otto von Handelstein? Huh. is a. I've heard of him. Pray continue. Well, this von Eldenstein, staying at the manor house at Hampton Wick, not far out of London. This morning, somebody slipped past his guards and threw a bomb into his study. His secretary was killed, and he would have been too, if it hadn't been that he'd left the room a few minutes earlier. Well,
12: these second-hand investigations are a little useless, Todd. We must both go down to the manor house at Hampton Wick and examine the situation on the spot. All right. Uh, Get out the timetable and look up the next train, will you? Yes. And while you're doing that, I'll. I'll go and tell Mrs. Hudson where I'm going. All oh, right, you are, Don. You know the scones,
5: Doctor? I was just bringing them up to you.
12: Scones? Who can think of scones when an empire is tottering? Are you sure you're feeling quite well, Doctor? Of course I am. Now, listen to me, Mrs. Hudson. If Mr. Holmes should return, please tell him that I've gone to Hampton Wick with Inspector Lestrade to investigate the Von Heldenstein business.
5: The Von Heldenstein business? Aye, Doctor, I'll tell him that. Uh,
12: uh, it, uh, Mr. Holmes didn't uh, didn't tell you where he was going, did he? No, Doctor, he didn't. Oh, I see. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Thanks.
5: Are you sure you don't want the scones,
12: Doctor? Uh, well, uh, well... Uh, I might as well take him along, I just say Lestrade could eat him.
14: Ah, you're the
12: one job. <laughs> yes, I suppose this is rather exciting. Just the same, I wish I knew what Holmes was doing at this moment. <laughs>
13: You are Herr Sherlock Holmes? Yes, I presume Graf Otto von Hildenstein is expecting me? Yeah, Herr Holmes. He was so anxious that you would come here to the manor house. I left immediately after I got his summons. He's very weak. He has lost much blood from the injuries he received this morning. Injuries that no one knows about, eh? Nine, Herr
14: Holmes. <laughs> Only I, his old and faithful servant, knows. Uh, follow me, please.
1: I will take you to him.
13: Is that you, Franz? Yeah, Herr Graf. And with me is Herr Sherlock
3: Holmes.
13: Oh. Thank heaven you are here, Holmes. I hope I can be of service to you, sir. You can. You can be of great service. Sit close to my bed, Holmes. I have not much strength to speak. I'm listening, Herr Graf. You. You must impersonate me. Yes, so I gathered when I received your message. I am in England on the most delicate and important mission for the German government. Within a few weeks, uh, your government and mine will conclude a treaty outlining the German and British spheres of interest in Africa. I see. Obviously, that bomb was thrown this morning by someone who does not wish the treaty to be concluded. Yeah, exactly, Herr Holmes. That is why you must impersonate me. In 24 hours' time, I shall be well enough to resume my work. Uh, In the meanwhile... Uh, You can keep the secret of my injuries and also have the opportunity of finding the assassin. I'm quite prepared to undertake the impersonation, sir, but how can I possibly hope to deceive the members of your personal staff? Uh, With the exception of Franz here, and poor Fräulein Ulmeyer, who was killed in the explosion that injured me, uh, my staff is new. Uh, They have joined me here from the German consulate in London. Uh, They will believe that you are me. Very well, sir. I'll try it. Uh, I have heard of your skill in the art of uh, disguises, uh, and also, it seems to me uh, we are not so uh, unlike each other. I was about to comment on that fact myself, sir. Yes, I think that the moustache and side whiskers will work wonders. If I can make the accent reasonably convincing... I will coach you, my friend. <coughs> splendid. help me off with my coat. Will you, Franz, get me towels in a mirror? Jawohl, Herr Horner. And while I'm applying my makeup, Herr Graf, Perhaps you will be so good as to give me the complete circumstances regarding this morning's attempt on your life. If I'm to impersonate you successfully, I must have all the facts at my fingertips. (laughs) Hey, <laughs> wunderbar. It is amazing, Herr Holmes. Even I can hardly tell you from my master. Yes, I think it's the wig that puts the finish, finishing touch into my disguise. How did it look to you, Herr Graf? Mm-hmm. Colossal. I feel as if I were looking into a mirror. At <laughs> my accent, you will find it reasonably convincing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Extremely so. Try it once again, Herr Holmes. Ja, yeah, Herr Graf. It gives me the greatest pleasure to do what you ask of me. Frechly, <laughs> splendid, Herr Holmes, splendid. A,
14: a cab is drawn <laughs> up at the gate. Two men are getting out.
13: You can see them from the window here. Oh, no, it's the police possibly are. Great, uh, Scott. It's Watson and Friends of yours, Herr Holmes? Uh, one of them is my a close colleague, and the other is a detective inspector from Scotland Yard. Oh, you must keep up the deception, even with your friends. As a matter of fact, my print investigations will prove an excellent mask for my own search for the assassin. But, uh, well, this is a delicious situation. I, I hope they won't recognize me. I am Graf Otto von Hildenstein, gentlemen. You wish to see me?
12: Uh, how do you do, sir? My name is Watson, Dr. Watson, and this is Inspector Lestrade of Yard.
13: Yeah, how do you do, sir? Inspector... Uh, Dr. Watson, may I ask if I have the great distinction of addressing the Dr. Watson, friend of Sherlock Holmes? Oh, I'm flattered that you know me, Herr Graf. But who does not not... know the great Dr. Watson? In my country, many people think that you are the real brains of the combination. Tell me, Herr Doctor, is that true? Oh, I wouldn't exactly say that, (laughs) sir. Of of course, you have both come (laughs) here to investigate what occurred this morning. Yes, we have, sir. uh, Please sit down. Uh, if you can find any furniture that is unbroken.
12: Oh, thank you, sir. I must say the place is a bit of a mess. And now, Herr Groff, please tell us exactly what happened.
13: Ja, I will tell you everything, Herr Doctor. This morning I was working in here with my secretary, poor Fraulein Ulmer. I had occasion to go upstairs to my room to get some necessary papers. As I came down the staircase to return here, I heard a scream from Fraulein Ulmer. Uh, A moment later, there was a most frightful explosion. The concussion stunned me. When I came to, my poor secretary was dead. Uh, What people were inside the house at the uh, time of the explosion? The servants were all at the church. The only people here was my secretary who was killed, my servant Franz. I can vouch for him because he was upstairs when I went for my documents. There were three other people in the house, however. Madame Lisa Barona, my hostess and the owner of this house, a young Englishman from the home office. His name is Hilary Adams, and the third person in the house was a member of the German
12: embassy, Colonel Schweiger. Oh, then it's just a matter of cross-questioning the three of them as to their alibis at the time of the explosion. I'll take them one at a time, Lestrade. Ring for that servant fellow. What was his name? France.
13: At least it's a rare privilege to watch a master detective at work.
12: Yes, sir, Graffer. I- I shouldn't be surprised if my methods teach you quite a bit about the, the art of detection.
13: Herr Dr. Watson, this is Colonel Schweiger of the German Embassy.
11: Uh, where were you, Colonel Schweiger, when the explosion occurred this morning? I was discussing the military tactics of Clausewitz with one of the guards near the front gates. Yeah, well,
14: what was the name of the guard? sir? Carter. Mr. Arthur
11: Carter.
12: Yeah, I'll check on that. Uh, thank you, Colonel Schweiger. Please ask Madam Lisa Verona to come in with her.
3: Questions,
5: questions, nothing but questions. Leave me alone.
12: Uh, well, uh, I, I'm sorry, madam. Uh, all I want to know is where were you when the explosion occurred this morning?
5: Where was I? In my boudoir, listening to that stupid dabbling of the young Englishman, Hilary Adams. Sir Graf, when I offered you my house, I did not know that I would have to put up with the love making of your staff. Everywhere he
12: follows. No, 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 no! Please don't get so excited, Madame Verona.
5: Questions, questions! Stupid young English puppies making calf eyes at me. My beautiful house blown to pieces. Lord, you do it,
12: Mister Adams. Where were you when the explosion occurred? Madame Verona's suite. You swear to that? Of course I do. You may ask. Her. I've already done so, sir. Thank you, Mr. Adams. Thank you. That's all you, you, you may go. Well, start did you check on Colonel Schweiger's alibi?
13: Yes, doctor. He was telling the truth. He
12: was talking to the Colonel
13: when the explosion happened. Dear me, Herr Doctor, your examination has not been very successful, has it, sir? <laughs> Everyone has an alibi. Yes,
12: but the alibis of Madame Verona and the young Englishman Hilary Adams depend on each other's words. They might be lying. And you've been dealing with criminals as long as I have, Herr Graf. You learn to look far deeper than the obvious. Yes, the and I shall return to London now and make some inquiries. You will hear from me, sir, before the day is over.
14: Ah, yes. Well, I'm much obliged to you, Doctor, for a very nice meal. Although we've been talking in circles.
12: Not entirely. Anyway, I have come to one important decision. Oh, and what's that, Doctor? Madame Verona is addicted to the use of drugs. The pupils of her eyes were contracted to pinpoints. It's an invariable indication of drug addiction. Lestrade, you go to Scotland Yard and see what you can find out about her, and I'll go back to my house. You can meet me there later. Yes, I wish Mary wasn't away. It's a cook's side out, confound I can't see a thing. I'll strike a match. That's better. Hello? Who's that in the drawing room? Who is it? What?
13: I thought you'd never come. Holmes, where else do you spring from? Never mind that, old chap. I've come to warn you. Keep out of the von Hildenstein business if you value your life. Well, how did you
12: know that I was working on the case? I
13: don't tell you now, but I implore you. Keep out of it. There are dangerous forces at work. Horses, sister, but to snap out your life without a thought. Please believe me, old chap. And do as I- Quick, Watson! I know that I knew
11: You'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a few seconds. All the time I need to remind you that, what with this being National Wine Week, if you want to take a gift to a young lady, why not take her a bottle of Petri California Muscatel? Petri Muscatel is the kind of wine you'd serve a queen. That Petri Muscatel has the flavor of plump, sun-ripened Muscat grapes, and is it ever good. You couldn't ask for a more delicious after-dinner wine, or a more delicious wine to serve when company comes. Remember, it's Muscatel. But the important thing is, it's Petri. Petri Muscatel. Muscatel. <laughs> And now back to Dr. Watson and tonight's adventure, The Manor House Case. That well, was a fine place to break off your story, Doctor, I must <laughs> say.
12: Mr. <laughs> I, I thought I'd keep you in as much suspense as possible. Oh. Well,
11: what happened next? Were you and Holmes injured when that bomb exploded? No, no,
12: my boy. The concussion of the explosion knocked me out for a few minutes. When I came to,
11: Holmes had disappeared. And I can imagine where he'd gone. Go on, Doctor.
12: Soon after that, Lestrade arrived on the scene, and after a quick and fruitless examination of the premises, we decided to return... Once more to the manor house. And so, an hour later, I was telling my story to the man I still thought to be the Graf Otto von Heldenstein. But this is quite true, Herr Doctor. The bomb might easily have killed you. Oh, I was ready for it, sir. Quick thinking and presence of mind of my stock in trade, you know. When I heard the cloth crash, I, I flung myself under the dining room table. Oh, I'm most distressed that you yourself should be exposed to such oh, danger. Not at all, Herr Graf. As a matter of fact, I exposed myself deliberately to the attack. An old army trick, you know, what we call drawing the enemy's far. Calm now,
14: Doctor. <laughs> you don't mean to tell us that you expected to have that bomb chucked through the window at you? Of course
12: I did, Lestrade. The assassin knew that I was in working on the case. He followed me to London and fell into my trap, just as I intended him to, by you. Uh showing his hand.
13: I don't see what he's got you, Doctor. I myself must admit I cannot see that you are any nearer to finding the murderer. On the
12: contrary, sir, the case is nearly solved. I don't see how you figure that one out, Doctor. Elementary, my dear Lestrade Elementary. One of the three people under suspicion followed me to my house tonight. The second bomb was thrown at approximately seven o'clock. Now, it's only a question of finding which one of the three cannot account for his movements at that time. Then we shall know the murderer. You want to cross-examine them again, doctor? Yes, Mr. Start. Bring them in, please. One at a time.
11: Uh. General Schweiger, where were you at uh, 7 o'clock tonight? Discussing the military tactics of Clausewitz with Mr. Carter of the Home Office Guards.
12: Great Scott, that's what you doing at 11 o'clock this morning, too.
11: It would take many days of discussion for two students to appreciate all the subtleties of classes. Yeah, I'll check on that again, Doctor. Oh, thank you,
12: Mr. And uh, Please ask Madame Verona to come in, will you?
5: Questions, questions, and still more questions. have all that seven tonight, you asked me. I was listening to more bubblings from that stupid young Englishman. Ask him for yourself.
3: Mr.
12: Adams, where were you at seven tonight? With Madame
13: Verona and her boudoir. There is a curious sameness about the pattern of life in this house, is there not here, Doctor?
14: Well, I checked on Colonel Schweiger's statement. It was true. He was talking to Carter at seven o'clock, all right. Uh, Well,
12: could the uh, other two account for themselves, Doctor? Once again, they alibied for each other, but this time I begin to doubt them.
13: Oh, wait. Why do you say that, Herr Doctor? I
12: would accept Madame Verona's alibi for young Adams. Obviously, she loathes the boy and wouldn't perjure herself for him. On the other hand, he worships her, and I'm certain that he wouldn't have any scruples about lying to provide an alibi for her.
14: You've got a point
12: there, Doctor. Yes, I regard her with great suspicion. Here, come in. Uh Yes,
11: Mr. Adams? Dr. Watson, I've been worrying about Madame Verona. I was afraid you wouldn't believe my alibi for her. Indeed? I have another, an, an unbiased witness, who can testify that Madame Verona was in this house at seven tonight. Come in, France. Yeah, Jawohl, well, Dédiger, Herr. France, did you see Madame Verona at seven tonight? Yeah, I take up uh, two glasses of sherry to her. Uh, it was a few minutes before seven. Uh,
12: thank you, France. Uh, uh, thank you, Mr. Adams. I appreciate your concern. You may go. Yes. Mm. Seems to me we're still traveling in circles, Doctor. On the contrary, my dear Lestrade, the case is solved. Indeed. You
13: astonish me, Herr Doctor. Who is the guilty party?
12: You'll know in a minute, sir. Lestrade, bring the three suspects in here, please. Aye, sir. When they are assembled, I will give you the solution to the mystery. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the mystery is solved, and I must apologize for any little convenience, inconvenience that you, you've undergone. You, Madam Verona, you, Colonel Schweiger, and you, Mr. Adams, have all unshakable alibis. Therefore, the solution's obvious. As my dear friend Sherlock Holmes has often said, eliminate the impossible, and whatever remains, no matter how improbable, is the truth. Therefore, the only person that could have thrown both bombs is you or yourself, Graf Otto von Hildenstein?
3: Oh. oh,
12: George, I
13: believe you're right, Doctor. Uh, what have you got to say for yourself, sir? Uh, that I too, Herr Doctor, have an unshakable alibi. Oh, what is it? I was with you, Herr Doctor, when the second bomb was thrown? What tonight. on earth are you talking about? I was alone, sir. Oh, come now, old fellow, that's not true. What?
3: <laughs> yes. what?
13: Holmes! Why, Holmes, how could you? Mr. Holmes! <laughs> Well, strike oh, me. Don't please. be angry with me, old chap.
12: Oh, you made a complete... No, not at all, my dear fellow. Not no, no. I've never I seen that. I you've got
14: the real solution to the case, as usual, Mr. Allen. Yes, Mister.
12: all I have. Well, let's hear it then. Uh. Might as well show me up... Oh, the my dear Watson, stop
13: rating yourself. You really handled the case very well. You made only one mistake. Huh? May I revise that dictum of mine which you uh, just quoted? Eliminate the possible, and then, if nothing remains, some part of the impossible must be
12: possible. Which part?
13: Uh, Colonel Schneiker's alibi was valid. There was Madame Verona's, since it was corroborated by the trusty France. But what does your alibi rest on, Mr. Adams? Madame Verona's told you I was here at seven. Yes, but Madame Verona is addicted to the use of drugs. I'm sure that you spotted that back, Watson. Yes, yes, uh-huh. I did. Your mistake, old chap, was in not drawing the correct conclusion. Mr. Adams' alibi depends on the unsupported word of a drug addict. Now, the use of drugs notoriously destroys, first of all, the sense of time. Any tricks, such as the resetting of clocks could be worked on her without her noticing. Her word on a time alibi is completely valuable. Then
12: Adams is a man fools, who who Meddlers. I don't you
13: He's a murderer and a traitor. <ppt most Elli Golden Cannon> Well, now, that we're back in Baker Street, Watson, I may as well tell you that I had my uh, suspicions of Adams from the first. Oh, you did? Why? Well, my brother Mycroft had told me that he was suspected of being a traitor at heart. He'd been under observation for some years. He was purposely given this assignment as a definite test of his integrity. Well,
12: I understand it all now, Holmes. It's the same. I did
13: make it. I asked it myself in front of Lestrade, oh, too. don't worry about it, old chap. Please don't worry. You, you always uh, can correct that impression, you know. Yours will be the last word. Huh? How do you mean? Well, when you come to write this story in your memoirs, my dear fellow, you can always do a little, uh, what should we say, uh, re-editing of your own parts. Posterity never need know.
11: Doctor, that was really a swell thing. I'm glad you liked it, sort of. Made me out of a bit of a fool, though. Oh, nothing of the kind, Doctor. I agree with Holmes. You did a splendid job. Oh, you really think after it? all, you, you did line up his suspects for him, didn't you? Well, uh, well come to think, of it, yes, 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 of course I did. And you did make the point that Madame Verona was a drug addict. Yes, yes. I just So I did. And you did say that Mr. Adams' alibi could be a lie. I do. You, you're right. I did solve that
12: case for Holmes after all. Mr. Martell, did anyone ever tell you that you are really a very smart young man? I... I wish you and I could work on a case together. We can,
11: starting tonight. No. Uh, Really? Sure. In celebration of National Wine Week, I brought you a case of Petri wine. And I suggest we start on it right now with a glass of port. (laughs) What a (laughs) fellow. What a wine. Petri wine. We know that's really good because the Petri family has been making fine wine since the 1800s. For generations. Ever since they started the Petri business, the Petri family has been turning luscious California grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. And during all that time, they've been handing on down from father to son, from father to son, all their skill and knowledge and experience. The Petri wine you buy today is the result of all that skill and knowledge and experience. That's why you can't go wrong when you choose a Petri wine, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. And now, Dr. Watson, what's the prescription for next week's
12: story? Well, now, let me see you next week. Mr. Bartell, I think I can promise you a most entertaining adventure. It concerns a famous magician, a female spy of unusual beauty, and a man even more brilliant than Holmes himself, his older
11: brother, Mycroft. Sounds terrific, Doctor. And before we say goodnight to our friends, I want to remind them that our men overseas need the Merchant Marine to bring them back home. The Merchant Marine got them there, and it'll bring them back if you help. Right now, the Merchant Marine needs experienced mates, engineers, ABs, firemen, oiler, water tenders, and chief cooks. If you qualify, write or wire collect at once to Merchant Marine, Washington 25, D.C. Bring the boys home. <music> Tonight, Sherlock Holmes' adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Greek Interpreter. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petrie family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Our Miss Brooks, followed by Suspense. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.